Welcome to Feeding the Flock, Season 9. And our expositions through the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We're currently in chapter 11, verse 21b. That's right, the second half of verse 21 seems to fit better as a transitional sentence to uh, head up the next paragraph in this chapter. So that's where we'll begin reading here in just a moment. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading verse 21b of chapter 11 in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this, But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, and dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying in Damascus, the ethnarch under Aratus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. So this is our conclusion for this chapter, although it doesn't technically conclude Paul's thoughts here in this general uh, major category in which he began actually all the way back in chapter 10 and verse 1 where Paul is vindicating himself, himself by explaining and giving his own answer as as their apostle, as the apostle over this church. And that's what he's been doing for the last couple of chapters. And, and he will continue to do so all the way through the middle of chapter 12. So in many regards, this major section of the book of 2 Corinthians uh, will not be completed until the middle of chapter 12. But it does kind of give a certain uh, punch here at the end of, of chapter 11. Uh, we've been talking about Paul's conflicts 
uh, and that is part of his defense. He he talked about his character in the in chapter ten. The first part of chapter eleven was his contact conduct. I'm sorry, and uh, then his conflicts are talked about here in this last part, and his conflicts include his present foolishness, his the dangers uh, that that uh, he has experienced in the past, as well as the daily pressure that he experiences for his responsible attitude toward the people he's led to Christ and the churches he has planted. And so that concludes this particular chapter. Now, the first part of chapter 12 talks about uh, vindication of, uh, of Paul the Apostle in the category of his credentials. And we'll talk about that, of course, in future episodes. But right now, let's start here in the middle of chapter uh, 11 and in the middle of verse 21. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. So Paul is basically going to launch into this foolish exercise of comparing his ministry to other people's ministries. But don't, don't, judge Paul too quickly here just because he begins this paragraph with this sentence in the last half of verse 21 doesn't mean he's going to do what he thinks, what you think he's going to do. He launches into a different list. The uh, The opponents of Paul may have had their list and they love to brag about those things that uh, they were excelling in among each other. And uh, in fact, that was part of the things he, he brought up in chapter 10, verse 12. He says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. So Paul basically is launching himself into this arena of comparing himself with them and putting himself almost on their ground, so to speak. But uh, they use different criterion than Paul is going to use in this paragraph. They love to brag about their accomplishments and their successes, uh, successes, and uh, they they loved perhaps to bring their statistics and how many people they led to Christ, how many churches they they planted, or at least how many churches they pastored in or preached in, or what the growth was, or how many people they baptized, or uh, they would talk about any number of things. Maybe it was their salaries and how much they got for every sermon they preached and every every. Uh, pastoral role they took on and what their what their pay was and what their vacation time and uh, they would they would brag about all those things and compare notes with each other about their successes in the ministry and Paul launches in comparing himself but notice he doesn't talk about his successes as such he compares himself all right but he compares himself with with uh, with a criterion as a list that comes that that has nothing to do with the grand thing of ministry that preachers love to brag about. These have to do with his persecution. Now, not only his persecution, but with the with the just the tough stuff that happens just by being in this world and choosing to be a missionary the way Paul has chosen. And 
what that involves. But first of all, he kind of uh, whets their appetite, so to speak, by by uh, comparing himself with the very criterion that that they are comfortable with. And that is, he, he talks about this, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. And the word Hebrew seems to be uh, used in the New Testament especially in uh, reference to that section of Jewish people who actually spoke Hebrew, read Hebrew, learned the Hebrew or the Aramaic uh, scriptures, and that was their heart language. That was their their tongue that they had learned in their families, in their homes, in their synagogues. And so they were a little bit uh, superior, you might say, to those Jewish people who had been a part of the diaspora. And they'd, they'd adopted the language of Greek, perhaps, and uh, maybe even taken on some Latin. And uh, they, they perhaps had learned Greek in their family and in their synagogue. And they, they were known as the Hellenized group or the Hellenistic uh, Jewish people. Uh, But Paul classifies himself among those who spoke Hebrew as his heart language, his family language. And so he says, all right, you want to measure up? I'll measure up with you. And so he says, are are they Israelites? So am I. Paul knew what it meant to be uh, of the nation of Israel and under the covenants that God had given to Israel as a nation, as a people. And Paul was right in there with the best of them. He says, are they? And so he says, so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Paul says, there's nothing wrong in my uh, Jewishness. Uh, I'm as Jewish as they come. And so I'm a descendant of Abraham, just like they are. So that's, but that's pretty much the extent of all of his comparison from what you might call an ethnic uh, uh, situation or an ethnic culture. And and then he gets into, are they servants of Christ? That is, do they serve the Messiah? Now, he's not necessarily giving them, uh, his opponents, the credit as if they were servants of Messiah, but he is saying that evidently they're making that claim. And so since they are making the claim of serving the Jewish Messiah, Paul says, they're no superior to me. That's exactly what I'm doing. But look at the way I'm doing it and look at the the list I'm about to uh, uh, give you of what I consider to be my doctoral thesis. And it's not at all what you think it's going to be. It's not limousines at fancy hotels. It's not the best flights and the first class passages on the ships. This, This is something else, you see. This is a different kind of list. This isn't the the uh, the list of of nice suits he was able to buy at the best designer men's warehouse. This is something else here. This isn't bragging about marbleized floors in the foyers of the churches where he'd planted. This is something else. It's not talking about what the construction uh, quality of, of the various cathedrals he helped build. That's not what he lists out here. He lists out a different kind of criterion, the kind, the kind of qualities that you would normally be ashamed of, you might think. These things do not uh, win points with the sophisticated of the culture 
or the high classes of the culture. Paul knows what that's like. He's been there. He's been in the high class uh, stratus uh, stratosphere of, uh, of the culture of Judaism. He knows what that is. He knows what that society is like. But he says, he says, if they're going to be servants of Messiah, I'll give you a list of what my servanthood has been like. And so he launches here, he says, in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. We know of at least one incident at Lystra where he was, he was uh, left for dead, literally. Uh, all of his assailants took off because they thought he was dead. Only his friends stuck around. They thought they were about to lift up a dead body and take a dead body back to the city of Damascus. And instead, they did not. <laughs> they picked up Paul the apostle, who still was on this earth, alive and kicking, so to speak, barely alive, but he was there. Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. What that means is the Jews had a special little quirk about uh, their punishments. And that is uh, the law of Moses prescribed 40 lashes for punishments of certain kinds of violations. But in, in their practice, they only gave 39 so as not to violate or be somehow risking the fact that they had miscounted the lashes. And so traditionally, they only gave 39. They never gave 40 exactly. And so Paul says, I did that five times. So that's, that's kind of like almost a record. And, uh, and yet that's exactly what Paul gave as his uh, criterion as far as his apostleship was concerned. We'll be back right after this musical interlude. back. We are right now in uh, verse 23 and 24. Verse 24 especially, he's, he talks about five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That means the lash, the whip had crossed Paul's body five times 39. That means a total of 195 lashes that Paul had received so far. You got to remember that Paul is writing this before some of the things that occurred in the book of Acts. Some of these things have already happened to Paul that, uh, that um, Luke didn't record. Luke didn't write the book of Acts as some sort of a, a, a history log of Paul's ministry. And so Luke doesn't record a lot of these things. He doesn't give those things. We wouldn't even know about some of this stuff unless Paul would have put that down himself because he was there on the ground experiencing it all. And uh, this is one of those. 
So three times he says, I was beaten with rods. That's the way that the Roman uh, people would punish uh uh, punish their criminals would would be beating them with rods and uh, so uh, Paul says that happened uh, uh, lots of times even even uh, in in the sense that it it brought me close to death and he says five times I received uh, and three times I was beaten with rods uh, and once I was stoned that was outside of Lystra that's the time that the Jewish people riled up a, a mob and took Paul out and they stoned him that was the Jewish version of uh, capital punishment that was their style of, of execution was stoning somebody to death and Paul says that's where they left me they left me for dead three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I've spent in the deep and I Again, I'll say that uh, I'll point out that these three times uh, they don't even include the one that we're familiar with that Luke records in Acts, where uh, Paul ended up uh, in a shipwreck once more time, and he ends up on the island of Malta. But that's not even included in this list. So these things are a part of Paul's things uh, that he lists out that he's already experienced uh, long before some of the things that Paul Paul uh, experiences later in his ministry. So it says, I have been on frequent journeys. And look at all these things. Every place Paul went, every journey he took in that culture especially, there was lots of risks. And he faced those risks. Whether it was rivers, swollen rivers, flooded rivers, whether it was dangers from robbers, uh, that meant that thieves, were, uh, highwaymen, uh, were a part of the, the process of taking a journey, any journey. There was always a risk of g- getting robbed. And, he's, and so he says, dangers for my countrymen. That means his own fellow Jewish people. He took risks when he went into any synagogue and tried to preach Jesus as the Messiah. He knew it would be a risk. Dangers from Gentiles. Of course, Gentiles didn't have any uh, affection one way or another to the Jewish scriptures or the Jewish prophecies or the Jewish uh, Messiah at all. And so anytime he went into a Gentile uh, audience, he knew he was taking a risk. Dangers in this city, dangers in the wilderness. It doesn't matter whether he was in town or in the country. There were always risks involved. Dangers on the sea. And uh, there are uh, recorded in uh, Paul's own uh, voyages in the sea, there's there's a total of, of 29 separate voyages uh, that's recorded in the book of Acts that we don't even have uh, uh, here yet, and yet uh, uh, we see them in the book of Acts. There's, there's 29 of them, and and that uh, Paul got onto a ship not knowing that it's going to reach its destination. Dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. There were people who claimed to know Christ that Paul had to put up with, and uh, they would uh, 
accused Paul of all sorts of things. And so anytime he went into a crowd of people, even a crowd that claimed to be followers of Jesus, it does, still doesn't mean he was safe because false brethren could could come out of nowhere, out of the woodwork, so to speak, and uh, be a part of the group or be a part of the congregation or, or the gathering of supposed Christians. And uh, they could start trouble. Verse 27, I've been in labor and hardship. As, as we've already learned in other places, Paul committed himself in certain churches, the Thessalonians being one of them, uh, and the Corinthians being another, where he committed himself to not be a burden. He wanted to earn his own keep, so to speak, by doing his own labor. He worked as a tent maker in order to support himself. And when he did that work, he did it at uh, what you might call the third shift, because any other time he was involved in people ministry, and because people ministry was done at a time where the when the people were available, that meant that if he were to support himself with his labor work, then that would mean him doing his skill work uh, sometime after everybody else has gone to bed. And so he spent a lot of sleepless nights no one else knew about in order to to do this work and to fulfill the uh, goals that uh, God had laid out in front of him uh, through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. The ministry of Paul was not easy. This was not a luxurious thing. This was not an elevated cultural uh, uh, thing to do. This was this was risky thing all the way through. And it also meant that sometimes Paul went without meals. Maybe it was voluntary from time to time, but a lot it seems as though that uh, that Paul went without meals because he didn't have food to eat. And we uh, we think, of course, about Paul giving the promise to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 19. It says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and we've taken that verse out of its own context and made Paul into something that he's not and made this promise into something that it isn't. Because earlier in that chapter of uh, Philippians chapter 4, he says in verses 11 through 13, he says, not that I speak from one, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Notice that. Paul supplied, uh, Paul gives the promise that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But before he gets even to that promise, he has experienced hunger. He has gone without food. And yet the promise is still true because why? Because Paul needed to learn to be content even without food. And that was part of the way God answered his prayer of supplying his needs because he needed to be content 
more than he needed to have the next meal. You see, we look at this in all the wrong ways sometimes. Paul goes on to say in that passage in Philippians 4, he says in verse 11, not only going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul suffered need. And yet he did so without violating that promise that God would supply all of his needs. Because he suffered on behalf of Christ. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul knew how to get along with wealth. He knew what wealth meant. He knew also what prosperity meant. He knew all of those things. He knew what it meant to, to have and live with, uh, with every meal supplied and with an abundance of, of food to eat. He knew what that meant. But he also knew how to go hungry. And he knew how to be content in what he did have and what he didn't have. And that was Paul's lifestyle. And he says, and then as if he's not done, he says, apart from such external things, it's almost as if Paul brushes all of this stuff aside as if they were only minor stuff. And, and he launches into now the major thing. And that is, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin with my, without my intense concern? concern. Paul says, Paul says, uh, nobody knows what goes on inside of me. I might be able to give you this list of, of things that I've gone through, of experiences that I have, I have suffered through and list them off and itemize these things. But he says, nobody knows what goes on in my heart and what goes on in the inside that no one else sees is my concern for the churches. He said earlier in this very chapter, he says, why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Anything that went wrong in the churches, Paul took it upon himself in prayer and in thought and in study and in writing letters. He took it all on. If someone fell into sin, he, he ached and he pained for those people to come to repentance. And then he concludes this. He says, if I am to boast, he says, I will, verse 30, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul calls God as head of the family, the spiritual family, into the room and says, he can validate what I'm telling you to be the truth. And he says, in Damascus, the ethnarch under Aratus the king was guarding the city of Damascus in order, uh, the city of the Damascenes, in order to seize me. I was at risk from the very moment I trusted Christ and the very first stages I took as a missionary in the city of Damascus. It was all a risk, and I knew it was risky from the start. Why? Because of the very way I was escorted out of the city. And how was that? Was that by making a phone call to, to uh, get a ride or a taxi or a limousine out of the city? No, I was let down in a hamper basket. That's, that's what the words is used here. 
I, and I was let down in a basket. That means a large basket in the Greek language. It's a huge hamper, the size than, in which the, uh, a man could fit inside of it through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. You see, it, it, almost as if in this entire list, this last little sentence is kind of anticlimactic to us. We read through it and, and we think, and so the, somehow that's important to Paul? Sure it was important. Why? Because it was his first stages into the missionary work that Christ had called him to, and that included this very first experience. It was etched into the memory of the mind of Paul of what it meant to be humbled for Christ, to be let down in a hamper basket through a window in the wall and escape by the skin of his teeth, so to speak. Paul knew what that meant. And that's where he started his journey, and it never changed. In many regards, it seldom let up from that kind of humiliation because of the name and the message of Christ that Paul proclaimed. It put him always at risk. Father, we thank you for these words, these words that Paul uh, wrote out for us in a painful experience so that we can gain an insight of many things that he experienced on our behalf that you allowed in his life as a part of his mission work. We pray that we can gain encouragement from these words in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>